What's up, everybody? Welcome to a special podcast this week. I'm doing a back-to-back week because I wanted to bring up something special um, that kind of gets looked over, you know, around the world. Um, men's mental health is uh, something that very suddenly never gets talked about. Um, I got my main man Taylor in the building with me. He's a counselor. So I want Taylor, won't you give the people a background check? Uh tell them what you do, uh how, who you are and, you know, you know, talk about Taylor. Fair enough. So the background check part, Polk County records are all open. So you can search that <laughs> if you want, bro. <laughs> uh, but Taylor Southman, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um I do a lot of couples work. Um so working with couples really value relationships and what they look like in our daily life and how those things go together and how having a, a positive reinforcing relationship around us is really going to make us a better person. Um, so what that looks like as far as men's mental health and things like that really just equates to as a male counselor, which there are not very many of, a lot of times the husbands will be like, oh, you'll get it. I'm like, I'll get some of it, but not necessarily all of it because there's some stuff that we mess up too and we're, we're not totally there on. And I think that's a lot of what we're probably going to talk about somewhat today right. is like, there's some things that we, we may have been told shown or taught incorrectly that I think really screws us up. And in my opinion, how I've always worded it is it sets us up for failure. It's like taking a kid and at, you know, 10 years old and putting him into high school and be like, go for it. And just socially and academically, they're not going to get it. And sometimes that's the position we're put. We are encouraged to be in because of how we're just raised and, and, it differs between each male, but but what that looks like is a big thing for me. Okay. Um, most of your clients is what what do you mainly do? Like who who is the majority of the people you see? So currently I do work for Tri County Human Services. So I'm currently working in substance abuse. So right now a vast majority of my clients are substance using or very recently clean. Uh, try to figure out that sober lifestyle. But outside of that, I've worked a lot within the kids, uh I've worked with both of you at one point with kids. Um, so I did a lot of work with kids, um, specifically like young men I would is what I would call them. Uh, I currently have probably like five, I think five private clients that I'm seeing that are like young boys that are, that are really learning some of the skills that we're talking about and going to be talking about today. So I have a lot of the vast majority, but then I also have like my, my couple side, which is where I'm really, really passionate about. Okay, that's perfect because, you know, um, that's typically where it starts, you know, like as – I know at a, a young age, I was always taught to really rarely show my emotions because I was the only man in the house. Okay. I lived with my mom and grandma. So whenever I had a problem, I always bottled it up. Yep. I think it's cool that you getting the, getting the stuff out of the bottle for the kids already, yep. you know, because I got pent up aggression and all that stuff from yep. when I was starting when I was like five or six, you know yep. what I'm saying? No dad at home. Things suck, but mm-hmm. I, I like how that's, how you starting to work with them early. Yep. But um, don't want to skip my boy Jake. I mean, got my boy Jake Studs back <laughs> in the up, building, man. everybody? Jake, go ahead and, you know, you got any questions for Taylor before we just hop into this? Or you kind of just want to hop right into it? You know, producer Jay in the building always. What's up? Hey. Um, I don't know, man. I think a big thing for for me that I kind of would, would like your take on is, is, like, for me in my life, it was a little bit of, like, kind of uh, – a dual life situation for me. So I grew up in a household with, with mom and dad who were very, um, emotionally fluent. So they were very much like show your emotions that's allowed, um, and different things like that. But then whenever I started going to public school, it was very like, you're a guy, you're not allowed to cry. You're not allowed to show your emotions. You're not allowed to be an emotional person and and different things like that. Do you see that that is still something that, that really takes place in a lot of people's lives, or do you think it's more more family, or, or what, is, what does that look like from, from where you see? I would say the average person, which is a whole different conversation we could have about the vast majority of what is normal, I don't know is the answer. So, uh, But as far as the average person, what we consider be, to be typical would be the family side, right? If we're going to use, and I don't want to get like super psychology jargony but if we're going to use attachment theory that's going to be based off your caregivers nine times out of ten mm-hmm. um for lance you brought up a minute ago your mom and your grandma those were your caregivers correct right? so whether it's mom dad 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 mom like it doesn't matter whoever your caregivers are you are going to develop a very special bond and relationship with those people 
-hmm. And it's important that you have that. It's important that that relationship is secure, which is a, a conversation we can kind of talk about a little bit later. Like, how do you make something secure? And then there's multiple forms of insecure attachment as well. And so what you're describing as far as in a family setting versus like school setting, I would, I would pass that back to you and say, who were those people in the school setting that was telling you that? I mean, uh, I think, I think it just depended on where I was at in the school setting. I mean, it even happened in like a youth group setting for me too, going to church. It was the same thing. It would happen from friends, but sometimes it would happen from adults too. I mean, I can even take it back to, um, you know, a guy that I still do relationship with now Mm -hmm. who is very much a man's man. And it's like emotions aren't really shown that much. And, and, um, you know, he was one of my, my pastors for a long time. Now he's a, he's a close friend and mentor and, you know, and different things like that. But at that time when I was so much younger, you know, it was very much like, uh, emotions don't, don't really happen, don't really take hold. And so I think it would just depend on the situation, yeah. um, and different things like that for sure. And I think for every person it's going to, that's why I asked that, right? Yeah. I think it could be ironically like people that are the same age as us. That could be a part of it too. Mm. A majority of the time it may not be right? Like a majority of the time it's going to be adult figures because regardless if we're a kid, we're going to consider that that adult is more, has some type of knowledge that I don't, whether we like it or not, right? Oftentimes they do. But the thing that I want to, uh, the reason I asked that was because I wanted to focus on sometimes it could be a kid, Mm. right? Like there are kids who we value or are important to us, our friends. Yeah. And if they are not going to come to us and ask us, or, or share with us, then we're naturally not going to do that with them. Mm-hmm. I'll use a quick reference that I use a lot of times with my clients, which is the exchange of vulnerable information is extremely similar to the exchange of money. Okay. I would never encourage someone to just hand somebody a hundred dollars. Now I have a friend who's a, owns a big, large dealership in Tampa and he does that often. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's very wealthy. So he can yeah. do that. Right? So it doesn't really affect him. A hundred dollars for him is like, a cent for me, frankly. So I can do that, right? I can give somebody a cent. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I could, I could see somebody on the side of the road who needs help and I could give them a buck, five bucks. And it's not a big deal. And in the same way, the exchange of vulnerable information needs to be similar, right? You start on something as simple as my name is Taylor. That is somewhat vulnerable. I'm letting you know who I am. Then I share something like Lance just shared with us. Uh, you know, I was raised by my mom and my grandma. My dad wasn't really in the picture. That's vulnerable information. Yeah. That's that's a little more than a buck or two, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't want to share the 5, 10, 20, whatever type of amount you want to re- you want to use until that person also starts sharing back with you, mm. right? And so that's where I think some of this goes wrong is when people try to be vulnerable, they end up sharing like a $100 item of vulnerability. Yeah. And then they're like, they used it against me. And I'm like, well, yeah, you didn't ever trust them with a dollar. Right. You just threw on them, like a very recent client, you just threw on them that you've been addicted to meth for 20 years. Yeah, they now have a negative view of you. Right. Right? But if you were to start with that person with a very basic conversation, you would likely get to that point in an appropriate way. Hmm. So that's a big thing that I use a lot of times. Just how friends share is a really big deal. That's a... That's a really interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I never thought of that. Never in my life. But I when you do, you're like, oh, that totally makes freaking sense. 100% makes, <laughs> makes sense. too yeah. much sense, honestly. I mean, that's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Mine pretty much blown. But the piggyback <laughs> off of what he was saying, you know what I'm saying, where I come from, I grew up, you know, in the hood, mm-hmm. essentially. So everywhere you went, you had to be hard. You couldn't be, you couldn't be soft. You couldn't show any emotions, pretty mm-hmm. much. If something bothered you or, or got to you, you you had to pretend like it didn't mm-hmm. because you couldn't show any weakness. Because if you did, what would happen? Oh, well, they'll think you soft, and you know they'll try to bully you over and bully mm-hmm. you and do anything or mm-hmm. say hurtful things to you all the time just to get a reaction out of mm-hmm. you because they have that one up on you. And you know, growing up in that situation, then going from that to public school, like he was saying, mm-hmm. and then I started out at a school where it was a bunch of people that looked just like me and hardly ever people that looked like you, you know? And then eventually they redid the bus routes <laughs> and I ended up going to Scott Lake Elementary where it's mainly white kids. It's a and lot I'm, of white kids. Yeah. A lot of white kids and I'm the only black kid and right. I don't know how to relate to them. Mm-hmm. So then that makes totally me, different. That makes my emotions go the other way. So now I'm really cooped up and I really don't mm-hmm. want to say nothing to anybody. Mm-hmm. What would your advice be to someone that was like going through that or, you know, a kid, like let's say a kid come in and 
you kind of he kind of tells you that. Like, mm-hmm. how would you go about speaking to him and like getting him to reel himself out? Mm-hmm. So I would say, generally, right? I'll I'll throw a quick caveat out there about my own personal life a little bit. I stepped into the military. Uh, my mom married my stepdad when I was like six, I think. Don't mark me on that, but right around that age. So ever since I was six, and I'm you know late twenties now, I moved essentially every two years across the country, like legit across country, like California to New York, back to California. Arizona wouldn't have been across the country, but then over to Florida and like all around. And so every time I moved, I had somewhat of a similar experience, not necessarily in the race way, but in a totally different culture type of way, I would agree. Right. right? Uh, trust me, New York is very different than California For and sure. very different than Arizona and very different yeah. than Florida. So like yeah. the, the cultures were very different. And so to go through that, like I experienced people who treated me differently or saw me differently and had that type of thing. So like I've, I've no problem sharing. There were times where I like legit ate my lunch with teachers because I felt more connected to a teacher who gave me the time of day mm. than I did a student. So what that equates to is finding even the minor moments where you can. Mm. Because once you do, uh, I'll say this to couples, but it relates to this as well. There is no greater feeling, and science would justify this as far as the release of, of positive hormones. There is literally no greater feeling than the feeling of connectedness with one person. Uh, if you were to take a person and poke their finger, like you're going to do like a uh, blood sugar test or something, but if you were to poke their finger while analyzing the amount of pain they were feeling, you would put them in a machine and measure that. Let's just say it equates to 10, right, on this made-up scale. It equates to 10. Then you have them hold the hand of their spouse who they love and they, they would tell you they love and they do. And then you poke their finger. That new, same poke, same machine, same everything. The only difference is they're holding the hand of someone they care about. The, the pain scale would be about a one and a half, maybe on the high end of two. For the same behavior. Crazy. Interesting. So my encouragement would be even that one person, yeah. whoever that one person is. That one person could be a mom, grandma, could be a mom, dad, could be a brother, sister, could be the one kid who does sit with you at lunch. I'll use an even more real example. Two weeks, was it a week or two weeks ago? Uh, I go to Highland Park Church. I don't have a problem saying that. We had a men's breakfast, right? And I have not been to the men's breakfast before. You both are younger gentlemen. I presume you would understand. Typically, men's breakfast is a little bit of older gentlemen. So oh, yeah. Not they're, necessarily... 40, they're 40 plus. Yeah. yeah. So I did not necessarily have somebody, right, who was in my same age bracket. Yeah. And I didn't really know anybody off the top of my head. Even I'm fairly connected, but I didn't really recognize anyone that I was close with immediately, like, go sit next to. Mm-hmm. Right? There's 20 tables out. So I sat down just kind of hanging out. Sat by myself. I'm fairly comfortable in that. Been there, done that. So I sat down, no big deal. This random gentleman named Paul came in and ended up sitting next to me. Started talking about business, psychology, some things like that. He's a business consultant and, and we I do that on the side as well and some things like that. And within like moments, people were coming over wanting to be a part of our conversation because we had built somewhat of a connection. Right. Because people are attracted to that. So even that one person who comes and sits at the table figuratively or literally, literally the lunch table, I'm sure is where that happens often. Right. But figuratively sitting at the table or literally sitting at the table, whoever that one person is, appropriately into the right amount, jump back to the to the money exchange example, to the right amount and to the right extent, you want to start that relationship and share vulnerably yeah. to a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And then let that grow. Right. I share a dollar. You share two dollars. I share five dollars. You share ten dollars. Frankly, before you know it, uh, I recently saw a TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, but it's actually a Facebook reel, I guess, technically. But whatever. That What's came wrong across. with being on TikTok? Te- I mean, technically, I don't you- use anything but Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> technically, you are on TikTok. You're on TikTok. You're, TikTok. Watching the video. Yeah, you're on TikTok now. Because that's all it is. <laughs> Crap, my wife got me. <laughs> um, but it was the, it was a joke that like how fast guys become best friends. And I don't know if you, either of you yeah. have seen it. And it's like those two guys like walking past each other in the morning. And they, yeah, they nod, you know. And then the next day they're, they're hey, you know, they just say, they nod and say, hey. And yeah. then like day three, they dab each other up, you know. And then day four, like, yo, you play PS4? <laughs> day five, they're like yeah. jumping in the middle. They're like, yo, we tore it up last night. Yeah, like, and it's, I'm like, legit, like five days could do that for a, a for a dude. A group of guys. 100%. Yeah, it because I totally. think it's so uncommon. Yeah. So when it happens, we're like, yo, I want more of that. Right. I want more of that. 
And I'll say this to my substance abuse clients because science would also support the the idea of shooting up with meth, heroin, or likely the two highest quote-unquote substances. The feeling, if you compare that to someone who is in a caring relationship, is minimal compared to the person in a caring relationship, which is crazy when someone who uses substances goes, you don't know what it feels like to be that high. I said, actually, you're right. I feel, I know what it feels like to be much better. Yeah. Right. Because I love my wife and I care about my wife and I love my son. I care about my son. My mom is fantastic, has given me some of the similar opportunities that you were describing, Jake. That's where I really, that's where I am high. Yeah. Drug test me all you want. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that sounds great, and that's that's amazing the way you just put your words together and make everything come together. But in situations like, and like when I was growing up mm-hmm. and the other kids that's, you know, like in my situation, mm-hmm. when you go see a counselor, you consider crazy mm-hmm. in the black community. Like if you're going to see a counselor yep. or you're going to get help and seeking help, you know, your the people on this side of the mm-hmm. ropes, when you're trying to help yourself, they consider you crazy and like, man... Dang. This dude crazy, man. Why he going to see a counselor every day? Why he trying to go get in tune with his emotions? Like, Dang. we don't do that. We too soft yep. for that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you if you listen to rap music and everything when I was growing up, from when I it's was a growing persona. up. Yeah, like, yep. that's that's the, the image you uphold when you go, you know, try to better yourself yep. mentally. So I had a wow. client within that same kind of culture, and... Uh, he came to see me very clearly in secret uh, to the point that like he would have the person who would drive him there, drop him off at like a local a gas station nearby. So I'm like, Oh, I just want to run in and grab a drink, but I'll walk because he lived nearby. And then he would come to my sessions and I'm like, they don't notice you go to get a drink every Monday at one. But, all right. whatever, bro. <laughs> so he would walk over and do his sessions. And I'm like, why are you so secretive about this? And he goes, Oh dude, if I told my mom, she would 100% she whip my butt and I'm like your mom would literally spank you because you're talking about your emotions and that was hard for me to understand right so together I learned a little bit with him about that I'm like wow that's different and throughout the process of working with him at one point I said where do you think is that point when you would tell your mom to come with you and he goes oh I'd never and I said all right so that's my goal because I want your mom in this room to where, because here's the thing that I, I also am really big on the reason my counselor, right? Safe spaces like what I strive to create for my clients don't exist right. very frequently. Mm-hmm. And so what I had to do with him, and he was a teenage age, just over teenagers, teen years. And I had to have a conversation with him. Okay, that's my goal because I want you to bring your mom in here because I will not, one, I won't let your mom spank you in front of me. That's embarrassing, yeah. you know, in front of me, whatever. Right. But... I will not even let your mom verbally talk down on you and, and have that conversation. It will not happen in this room. Because this is your safe space. Correct. Right. And we don't have many of those. Yeah. You don't. Right? And so if this is needs to be that room, so be it. And, you know, moral of the story is mom ended up coming and she's like, you know, what is this? How long have you been seeing my son? And, and I freaking got, out. Right? got an appropriate release from him. And I said, man, let's talk about this. What are you so afraid of? And she goes, what am I afraid of? what are you telling my son? I said, I'm telling your son that him feeling scared of you is okay. And she went, he's scared of me. Oh, he will be. And I said, no ma'am, because this is a safe place. So this conversation is going to happen in a safe way. You are not going to hurt him. And I am not going to let you do that. And I said, you know, to my client, I said, what what would you like to tell your mom about this process that we've been going through? And he shared with her. And in the moments where she wanted to get angry, like there were times like she made eye contact with me. Not that I was going to hurt her, but I, she could just see very clearly. I'm like, I'm, don't do it. Don't, that is not going to happen here. Right. And to some extent for a little while, like he was just not able to have those conversations and they were a little distant for a time. Yeah. You, you just can't because I guarantee you some of the things that she said was, you telling my son all this crazy mm-hmm. stuff. I guarantee you the word crazy mm-hmm. came within that conversation. And that's just, you know, growing up in the household, my mom was happy when I was young. So mm-hmm. basically, essentially, my grandma raised me. Right. Mm-hmm. And that generation didn't believe in anything but prayer and the Bible. Mm-hmm. Prayer, the Bible, and whoopings will always get you right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They ain't have time for you. There's, there may be some truth to that. I'll throw yeah. that out. There no, 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 absolutely. That, but but. This, yeah, that's it's very true. But mm-hmm. like you said, like in that situation, yep. that would have been that possibly would have been my grandma. Yep. And that's why I always never said nothing. If I was bothered, I just go in the corner alone 
and tell people to just leave me alone. They'd be like, you're all right. And as a young kid, like, mm-hmm. I can remember myself in sixth grade saying, teachers would ask, uh, friends would ask, are you going? Are you okay? And I'd be like, no, but I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Like, basically. Give me a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll be okay. And then, you know, the main part of it's over, but I never finished the battle. Like, I still still have those things inside mm-hmm. of me. And that is the reason why, because situations like that, like. Because you didn't have a safe place to have that conversation. Negative. They don't. They don't exist. In and, and I would say it's not even just that culture for you with you know an African American boy being raised by his grandma. Right. I would say it exists in a lot of different cultures. Um, I, I don't want to speak for Jake. I can speak for myself, and it sounds like you were insinuating this. But like my mom, this very recently actually had this conversation with my mom that she said, you know, a big thing for her when she married my stepdad that she told him from the start is my sons will wake us up at two, three, four in the morning at days because my sons know if they need to talk, they come wake me up and they give me a couple of minutes and I'll meet them at the table and we can talk if they need to talk. Mm -hmm. And I can vividly, vividly remember times where that was our safe space, right? I knew if I woke my mom up, she might be like, what the heck at 3 a.m. And I'm like, Mom, I, I, I just, I can't sleep. I got to talk about something, right? And she's like, okay, give me, you know, give me 10 minutes, splash of water on my face and I'll, we'll meet at the table and we'll talk. So get a drink for yourself and, you know, we'll, we'll sit there. And my stepdad, I remember like the first time it happened, he looked over at me like, what in the heck are you doing waking us <laughs> up at 3 a.m.? Yeah. And my mom was like, you can go back to sleep, but I'm going to go talk to my son. And that yeah. revolutionized my life. Right. Probably like why it, are it, you it genuinely doing did. what you're doing now. To some extent. hundred percent. Like, like you said, that safe space could have changed a lot yep. because I guarantee you if I went to go get my grandma at two in the morning, <laughs> she would have said some choice words to me yeah. <laughs> or she would have she would have rolled over and told me, boy, you better go sleep that off. Yeah. And yep. then at the end of Dang. the day, at the end of the day, nothing would have got done. But that's yeah. just the old school. I love my grandma through and through. Yeah. I'll say one fast thing because I want to give Jake a minute because I can see him itching over there to say some stuff too. But I want. The, what she did do in that moment, she actually, and this is nothing against her, I want to make that very clear too. Right. She, not only did she not help necessarily, but she, to some extent, that was your model, right? right? So like a neutral model, like I'm okay with a neutral stance of like, hey, if you really need to talk, I'm here. Now what's better is like when you need to, please come to me. Right. But what's really obviously detrimental and on the other side of the spectrum is don't come to me which is literally the message you are hearing. Pretty right? much. You better, you better get out of here. Go sleep that off. It was your words. Yeah. That's literally the opposite and the, that opposite side of the spectrum. And that's likely, why would we ever think that anybody else would feel any differently if that's what my grandma's saying too? But yeah. you know what's crazy though? Like it changed over time because mm-hmm. early in my life, it was kind of like, you know, like nah, nah, nah. Mm-hmm. But as I turned 17, 18, 19 and, all the crazy things start happening. Police start shooting black kids and crazy things start happening. She wanted to know everything. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I had developed a system like, nah, I'm good, Grandma. We don't need to talk about this because early in life, I kind of, that's how I got by. So that's all I ever knew. So still to this day, as a man, I struggle with until, well, like talking with my emotions. Nah, I just mm-hmm. had, a, but. But getting my emotions through with my wife, even, like, she can be sitting there like, what's wrong with you? And she knows something's wrong with me. We've been together for going on seven years. And you look her straight in the face and say, nothing. Nothing's yeah, wrong with me. Nothing. <laughs> exactly. And I just, I don't know how to. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know how to open up. And that's just from coming from that. But, Jay, go ahead. Yeah. Hop in, man. No, it's it, that's a perfect segue from that because it's like, just like how you were talking about where early on in life it was one way and then once you got older – you know, when crazy stuff started happening and all those things started happening, things changed. In my life, early on in my life, I had mom and dad both in the house. Um, everything was wide open. We were able to have those conversations and everything like that. Um, and then um, everything changed um, when the first time my dad um, ever got arrested and went to jail. Um, he was in jail for nine months, was out for five years. So then it went like back to how it was before. Um, and then four years ago in January, he'll, he'll be serving, he'll, he was back in prison. Um, so he's in prison now, serving a, a seven-year prison sentence. And so for me, kind of what what I was kind of getting at as you guys were talking about all the, the the emotions and everything that that men kind of keep held within is the weight that men hold a lot as well, I feel like. I feel like a lot of times we try to take 
um, the weight of the world on our shoulders because we we're men and we're strong and we can do this and that and the other. And, um, when my dad, um, went back in, um, for all the different things that he did, I had to take on that weight. Um, I had, how old were you when that happened? I was 19. So, and I'm 23 now. So you were an adult. Right in our mind, yeah. I'll throw that out there. I don't know if this yeah. really are. Well, I had to. I had to become an adult yep. way quicker than I wanted to, and it's something that my mom still gets emotional about to this day. Is the fact that you know, even whenever my dad went to jail the first time, even at that point, and at that point, I was, I think I was fourteen. Yeah. So pretty much from fourteen to now, like that's when my adulthood started. Was at fourteen, um, and a lot of people don't know that because of just the way that I've carried myself and the way that our families carried ourselves, as we've kind of carried ourselves in a way of, you know, this isn't going to get us down. We're going to continue to be the Stutzman family. Like that's the way that we are. Um, but for me, I became a quote unquote father like figure. Cause I have three mm-hmm. younger siblings um, at 14 years old yep. and it changed everything. And so now, you know, cause like whenever I saw um, that you, you were going to be talking about this and I was like, I want to be there because I feel like, for for me personally, and I feel like a lot of people that I have in, in my inner circle, um, there's this weight that we feel like we have to hold. Correct. And we have to hold it for, for our wives or for our girlfriends or for our moms. Um, and so I feel like for me personally, I hold a lot of weight on my shoulders for my wife, for my mom, and my mother-in-law because they all go through stuff yep. and they want me to hold it for them. But then like I get stuck in this place where like I can't get my stuff also off of my own shoulders and then I'm also holding your stuff. Right. You know what I mean? And so I feel like I'm not the only one that feels like that. It's an exponential weight growth is what I call that. Right. So I'll talk to a client and I'll say, oh, so you don't just have your stuff. You're like, you know, X time, X to the second, right. Or X to the third, your situation, there's four. So X to the fourth. Right. Which if you guys know anything about math, I'm pretty big on math, but <laughs> so it's not two times two. Right. It's like it well, for two times two, it would be, but it's, you know, it's, <laughs> not just eight times two, it's eight times eight. Yeah. And there's an exponential growth because when you're at a quote unquote, you know, your glass is full, your tank is full or or empty should be the emotional reference, but your tank is empty. And then you add someone else's stuff. It's not just like, Oh, that's hard too. It's like, I'm already drowning and now it's even harder, right? Try holding a cinder block while you're already drowning. It's Mm. not just like, Oh man, that's a little harder. But we're, but the expectation is that I have that you take it. it. That's the expectation. And if you don't, you're like, wow, I can't believe that. Like, I, I'll never forget. I was ta- I was in a, um, I was in church. It was after service, and I was having a conversation with my mom. It was a personal conversation um, that she went, wanted to run something by me real quick. And my wife needed something at the same time. My mom needed something, and um, my wife's thing that she needed had to do with my mother-in-law. And I had a literal mental breakdown. Because I was like, all three of you need me at the same exact time, and I have to say yes to all three of you, and I just want to go home and watch football. Mm-hmm. But I can't do that. Because there's this, an expectation right now, because I am the man in this situation that I have to deal with this, and I have to deal with it right now. Not because it's a pressure that women only put on us. I don't want that to be misconstrued. It's a, it's a, it's something that society in general is a pressure that's been so put on So it is the definition of the word masculine. So I'll, before we started the pod, I told you guys that like I have a, a conference coming up that I'm not leading it, but I'm speaking at it and I'm a part of it. And my portion is called men of steel, the problem with masculinity. Mm. And like, I, I'm fairly confident. Maybe I'm not as secure as I think I am, but I'm fairily confident in my masculinity. Like I'm, I'm okay. I'm I'm a problem with that. But the definition that, that I, that we are all describing of current masculinity is what you're describing, Jacob. I have to be the man, mm-hmm. right? And so the transition and the conversation that I love to have from that is, okay, that is the the current view you have, and, and I'm not speaking just for you, Jacob, oh, yeah. I'm speaking for the general reference of, that is the general reference that most men, it's yeah. fairly accurate, have. One, how do we change that? And then two, how do we let other people know that we've changed that? Because what you just described, right, is, not specifically those individuals you were talking about, but it is going to be put on you whether you like it or not. So then you have to know, okay, what do I do when this unattainable, unrealistic, unhealthy expectation that you just described is put on me, now what do I do? Mm. What do I do to let those people or those influences in my life know that is not the definition of masculinity that I have chosen to take on, right? 
So that is not an expectation I'm, I am willing to accept. Yeah. Right. That's the definition of boundaries, right? It's a definition of saying that is not something I'm willing to do. Mm-hmm. No. Right. You need to take that here. You need to take that there. And that's mm-hmm. really hard in a million circumstances. Well, it's, su- it's super great. easy for, for some people. Like for some people, it's super, super easy. But I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I'm going to say yes to everybody. Like all three of you could ask me to do something tomorrow. And I'm probably going to say yes to all three of you. (laughs) And I'm going to hate my whole life tomorrow. But I'll do it because that's just the way I am. Y'all all text me. I'll be like, God. Yeah, I don't want to, but I'll do it. Like it's just, yeah, it's, it's just, I don't know, man. It's hard. But I feel like some people are, it's super like saying no is, is like easier for them because they, they're the way that their priority mm-hmm. structure is, you know, like in some ways it's like that for me. Like my mm-hmm. wife is always going to be above everybody else, period, the end. Fair. But like, I'll take care of what my wife needs me to take care of. And then, but then I'll still also take mm-hmm. care of what everybody else needs mm-hmm. to after that. You yep. know what I mean? It's not like, no, my wife needs this. Like the rest of you guys, like, sorry, like sucks to suck. It's just like, they just happen later. Yeah. If that makes sense. But that's the thing though. Like, when you when you make time for that, right? Mm-hmm. There's a time chart for everything. So what if what if what your wife asking you to do takes this much time? You've already told this person yes, and then you kind of letting them down, and you're like, God dang, I just let them down, and I told them I would do it. Now yeah. I'm not a man because remember the expectation is I have to right. be the man. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So I want to ask you a question because we we talk about expectation, we talk about culture. I know for me, growing up Italian. An Italian yes, family. Um, I know the moment it changed for me. I'll get to that in a second. But I want to ask you, is it really that we all have heard the put your big girl panties on mm-hmm. and handle it and right. all yeah, that? Right. Like, that's oh, a, yeah. But it's a stigma. Th- that's society. But is it biological for men? So that is a great question that there is not a legitimate answer to. Right. The, the, psycho- the psychology would say, right, it's both and it's not either or uh what i would say is is it like a nature versus nurture type of correct that's 100 percent the the definition of it right is nature versus nurture what percentage if you're going to say there's a hundred percent pie right that results in that masculinity that we all feel what percentage is nature what percentage is nurture the truth of the matter is that there probably is a, more, a higher percentage is going to be the way you are raised is I, I would never debate that there isn't a portion that is biological, right? If we're going to use the idea of evolution and things like that, right? From the get-go, for likely a lot of physical testosterone muscle-building reasons, right? The male is often tasked with protection. The male is often tasked with things that relate to having more muscle mass, and that would be a biological thing, right? If we wanted to get into that debate, we could, I guess, that whether women could do the same exact things, and I would debate that they could do it. It's just not necessarily naturally going to happen, which is the conversation you're asking, right? So I would say it's both, and it's probably a bigger percentage nurture because you could take a boy and develop it, and we see this to some extent, into almost whatever you want based on how you raise it. True. If you the the reason we know that is if you take two twins and let's say they're both male twins and you raise them in incredibly different situations, they will turn out to be incredibly different people. And that would derate. I would presume. I don't know that there's exact research on this. I will not say that that exists. It may. I don't know that it does. But I would be willing to to put my money on if you took two boys, twins. Their genetics are exactly the same, so the biology is now no longer a factor. And raise them in two different home environments, one more similar to what Lance is describing, and one more similar to what I described. I think you'd have two very different views and expectations on masculinity. That's fair. So it changed for me when Tony Soprano went to counseling. So I don't know if y'all watch this. Interesting. But I think that was a huge thing in, in television. That's fascinating. Yeah. Because, you know, you talk about black culture, mm-hmm. like Italian, you know, you, you wasn't going to go talk to a shrink. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and especially when you're the mob boss and you're <laughs> yeah. giving out yeah. the juice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a snitch, you know, and you, you, like yeah. that. So when well, I there seen, is some legal protections, I'll throw that out yeah. there. <laughs> so when I seen Tony Soprano, because I grew up on watching The Godfather and mm-hmm. movies like that. When I seen the mob boss sitting down and, and talking to the the counselor, <laughs> like, well, dang. You know, do, why can't I actually go do but that? But I asked a biological question because I I never, my parents didn't say, oh, come talk to us about anything. Well, I mean, they did, 
but it was more in me going, no, I'm good. Like, Lance, yeah. I don't need to talk to nobody. And I, I feel like it was just in me, like, as a guy. I would challenge that, you, that there are there are areas where you saw it and it was modeled for you. You guys, if you ever were to do some psychology, I know Jake has done some for school and stuff like mm-hmm. that, too. But uh, modeling is likely where you got that. And modeling is vast majority of the time not don't do or do this. Gotcha. It is, I never, the reason I would say that, and I'll go back to your own story, right? Tony Soprano didn't come to you, as far as I'm aware, in a dream or a vision and say, it's oh okay gosh. to go to counseling. And if he did, that's a whole different did, conversation. Did he do we that? need to have. <laughs> I'm oh, like, did he? We, we need to talk about that. I'm like, no that. way. <laughs> we need to talk we about that. that. And this is about to go viral. <laughs> but, that's a whole other pod. <laughs> <laughs> but you, it was modeled for you, right? So that's a good example of that. Yeah, I mean, it just, it made me, I don't know how old. I mean, I'm 44 now, so I was probably in my 30s mm-hmm. when I watched it. But I remember, man, man, okay, if Tony Soprano could go talk to somebody, I could go talk to somebody. Yeah. I mean, it's silly sounding, but that's kind of how I got to where I was comfortable to go to speak to somebody. I yeah. guarantee you if around that age, if LeBron James was there and he was going to counseling, and I guarantee you I would have went. So let's – I want to go here with us because in prep for today, I was like, man, there's some good stuff going on like right now that we could directly address in – I don't think this will surprise either of you in the room. You don't know me too well, but let's talk about some sports stuff like related to this, right? Like I, cause I struggle with this to some extent, even currently like as a counselor, right? Like if we were to think of the football landscape right now, there are two like major mental health quote unquote things going on, mm-hmm. right? The two that I'm referencing, we have Calvin Ridley who has decided to step away for an indefinite amount of time at the moment. We have to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, but we do not have a timeline for that. Right. Yeah. And we have AJ Brown, who this past Friday posted a video from that he referenced as one of the darkest times in his life to bring awareness to like, it's okay to be not okay kind of concept. Right. And recently, you know, did a press conference somewhat about this, just saying, I just posted it because I felt like, you know, people need to know that like, I have that feeling too. Yeah. 100%. Right. And so like, I mean, not that AJ Brown is necessarily, he isn't at the same level that LeBron James is or Tony Soprano is for you. But I do think those examples is a place that needs, it needs to happen and it is starting to happen. Now we can have differing views on, you know, like the Calvin Ridley type of situation or the AJ Brown situation and different people stepping away for different reasons. And that's fine. Right. We can all have differing views or opinions of that. But I think it's massive that it's even, like, I would presume for you being 44, in your younger years, that would have, like, never happened for an athlete. Like, that would have been absurd, and they likely would have been laughed off the planet for Correct. that type of behavior. Soft, crazy. Yep. Label, boom. You're tied to it for the rest of your life. And mm-hmm. a lot of people did it to the uh, female in the Olympics, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Simone uh, Biles. Yep. Yeah. I mean. Uh, I will never, ever. Oh, man. I was so angry. I was so angry. A lot of those people. I couldn't believe, like I was, I was at my grandparents' house in West Palm Beach coaching at a tournament and we had just finished a game. We lost. And so. Sounds about right. Yeah. So then I I naturally, as all the parents are trying to tell me, this is what we should do better. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is my favorite conversations. If any of my parents are listening to I love Don't you. do that. <laughs> Stop doing it. Um, <laughs> but um, naturally, I, I open Twitter. And then I see all this stuff is going down. And I see what people are saying about it. And I'm like, this this is why people, deal, both men and women, deal with such deep anxiety and depression issues and have to be heavily medicated and different things like that because of stuff like this. Because... Even whenever, because like what you were talking mm-hmm. about, like when people coming forward with it, if if and when they do, yes, I feel like it would help a lot of people. But the internet mm-hmm. is is an unre- unde- is an undefeated. Unrestricted. The internet is undefeated. Just like Pat matter. McAfee says, the internet <laughs> is undefeated because you can. I could go on there, say whatever the heck I and want, and say whatever I want, and I could be John Smith, and you don't know that it's me, and I could go on there and just rip a, rip apart Simone Biles because I'm having a bad day. And that's the type of stuff that people see. I was just talking about it in, in small group a couple of uh, couple of 
days ago at, on Tuesday at my, at my small group, and we were talking about all the issues that the mass media is blowing up and, ha- and relating it to actual facts and the percentage of people that are dealing with whatever that may be and how it seems like there's more people in this area dealing with this because this is what the media is covering when in reality more people are dealing with this but nobody's talking about it. And I think that this is one of those issues is the anxiety, the depression of, of men especially. Not that women don't deal with it, but just that, that that's what we're specifically talking about is that's not being discussed. And if it is being discussed, it's like, oh, it's like very passive almost. Like, for example, I bet I don't know if any, any of the three of you remember this, but I think it was three years ago now, three or four years ago, Everson Griffin, a defensive end for the Vikings, he stepped away. Same, same exact thing. He was right. like, I'm mentally not. And he didn't want to. Mike Zimmer said, you need to go home mm. and you need to deal with it because you're not you. He had to be sent home and was like, you need to deal with it. And he came out later and talked about it, I think, on his Instagram or Twitter. And he was like, I'm dealing with a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of family issues. And he wasn't dealing with it because he was trying to be a man's man. He's a defensive end. He hits other dudes <laughs> for a living <laughs> yeah. over and over and over again, play after play. He doesn't know how to. He, it took him a while. He had to go searching for answers. Yeah. Because you don't, you don't have all the answers, even though you may think you do. And that's my problem. Yeah. Like, I'm too scared to to reach out like so i'll just ball up yeah and i'll just laugh it off i try to laugh everything off mm-hmm. like that's my Yo, thing humor is one of my favorite because it, again you guys know this because you know me well like i'm i'll laugh all day long if anybody gave me the opportunity yeah but in sessions if you were to ever see me in a session clients start laughing and i'll go i'm confused on what's funny about that yeah and they're like what do you mean that's funny that i felt that way i'm like that's not funny at all yeah I am so sorry you felt that way. And I'm confident if you were my client, you are not. But if you were, I would, you know, you'd say something like that and, I, and you'd laugh about it. And I go, Lance, that's not funny, man. I am so sorry that you felt that way. And a simple statement like that with the relationship that me and you would have built it through counseling and through that process would be like, a, you're right, it's not. Yeah. But no one's given me the opportunity or the ability, and I don't even have it in myself. Do not laugh about it. Mm. Okay. So if it's not funny, then what is it? It's real for sure. Yeah. And if it's not funny, which is what I've always considered it to be for 20 some odd years for you and, you know, things like that, then what is it? Okay. Let's have a very, you know, if we were to have a very real moment, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible that I feel like I have to take the weight of all these people. It's terrible that I don't know how to even say no. It's terrible. And we could go on the list of these things that are just weighing on us that we laugh off because humor feels good and does mm-hmm. release some positive feelings, right? So if For that sure. becomes somewhat addicting, which I would somewhat advise because humor is fun. Humor is good. But we also need to have those people. And I think to some extent we we all have this like ideal in mind of like not being around yes men. Like we have that term for it, right? Because we yeah. all don't want yes men. We want people that are going to challenge us. There aren't many people who will challenge us for mental health. Mm. There aren't a lot of them. So when you find them, like take advantage of them and learn from them and then also become one. And like that's a big thing for me, right? Uh, my older brother is is similar in that where like if I call him, uh, and you two have probably heard me say this before. If someone asks how I'm doing, I generally nine times out of 10 will say, I'm living the dream, man. And I started that my sophomore year of college. Long story there that I won't get into, but I started that my sophomore year of college and I I started saying, I'm living the dream. And people were like, but are you really? And I'm like, yes. Like I genuinely am living the dream. I love my wife. I love my son. I love my job. I am doing things that I genuinely feel satisfied and not happy, but joyful, and I feel me yeah. in the things that I do on a daily, hourly almost basis. So yes, I am living the dream. And my brother will ask me sometimes when hard times come, because that's generally who I'll call, and he'll go, are you really though? And I'll tell him, and I'll say, I'm still living the dream, but today is still a hard part of that dream. Yeah, Me and my wife are fighting today, and that is difficult, or things like that. And we need people who are going to challenge what we generally would say, especially since I'm sure a vast majority of us say, I'm good. 100%. Every <laughs> time. Every, every single time. time. Yep. I'm good. That's why right. I stopped saying that. <laughs> I was like, yeah. that's such a lie. Bro. Every time. Say it all the time. 
Every time it's and like sometimes I feel like my emotions build a wall specifically around Correct. me. And then at the same time I'm carrying those bricks <laughs> everywhere I go with me. And then like one little thing can go and I'll snap. And then in that moment right there, that person just got everything that's been built up and pent up inside. even though it wasn't about them even though it has it had nothing to do with nothing them. nothing to do it with has them. something to do with having like three weeks ago yeah yeah and so here's I the tol- reason i totally get that if you want the understanding of that i'll give you a little bit of the understanding of that the reason for that is your body doesn't recognize specific differing emotions as far as biology you brought up biology earlier your body does not actually biology wise recognize those other emotions that's why people say your emotional tank because all of your emotions go in the same tank. There are positive and negative. That does not mean any are good or bad. That means there are positive. They're going to make you feel better. There's negative. It's going to make you feel worse. But there's a tank. And so if you let the tank for the negative emotions get too big, they will oftentimes, because it's very easy, I say this to a lot of my teen male clients, it's very easy to be angry. We all know exactly what that looks like. Mm. It's very easy to see if someone's angry. Mm. It's very hard to see if someone's embarrassed. It's very hard to see if someone's feeling hurt. Mm -hmm. That is a word I would heavily encourage anybody to use more. The word hurt. I'm not angry at you. I'm hurt by you. I'm not upset with you. I am hurt by what you said to me. Right? I'm not mad that you 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 stood me up. I'm hurt because I didn't expect that from you. Yeah, And like, literally, if I said to someone, right, me and Jake scheduled to go get coffee, right? And Jake showed me up. It's happened a couple times. So what are you talking about? <laughs> Do not put me on blast out here. We ain't never gotten coffee. <laughs> but I, if I did that and Jake no showed. Yeah. And I said, wow, dude, I'm really mad at you. Right. That's likely going to put a wall between us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But if I said, hey, Jake, that like that hurt me, man. Like, I just wasn't expecting that from you. Different reaction. Totally different. That opens a conversation and opens a door for me to be like, oh, I didn't realize that that would hurt you. I should have so and so and so. But those conversations don't happen Correct. between guys. No. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's all good, fam. And then you like that, but it's like, it is what it is. And then you move on. Like, that's just what it is. And then you is. go home and you go, no, it's not. Yeah, but, yeah. You're, but you're mad. But you're mad. You know what I mean? And you're it's upset. like, you're hurt. Like you're, you said. you're not mad. You're, you're hurt. hurt. And that's huge. Like, that is a massive shift. Someone saying I'm mad versus I'm hurt is two like totally different worlds. Mm-hmm. And that's why just a simple verbiage change changes everything. Mm-hmm. I'll spend the first three sessions with couples just going like literally like freaking Webster. What does this mean to you? <laughs> Write it down. I'm like love means this to me. Okay, now read it. And they'll have like varying different some of them will be fairly close, but oftentimes there'll be at least a couple words that they're like. Oh, so when I say this, that's what you hear. Oh, that's not what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like, that's not what I meant. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, now this offers us a conversation to what it's called operationally define the word. So now when I say I'm hurt, this is what that means. 100%. Another another thing, one of the last topics I want to talk on, and we're probably getting a little lengthy, uh, but um, one of the things I wanted to talk about is you know, like I was talking about how I snapped because of things that holding me back. But when you do those things, like it could be something as simple as cussing at your wife or yelling at your wife. Or it could be something as simple as like today, like I seen something crazy. Um, an ex-football player just beat Zach, the crap out Zach of Stacy. Yeah, he just beat the crap out of. He threw her. Yeah. Multiple times. Yeah, he beat the crap out of her and he was angry. And what. You can tell what she did really hurt him, but the matter of the fact is that the emotion that he spilled out mm-hmm. is going to stay with him forever. Yep. All because of one split second because he was hurt and upset. And he snapped. And those are the things that mental health and speaking out to people would help because I feel like if he could have talked to somebody else about it, he wouldn't have got to that point. 100%. And that's the thing why I feel like it's very important to find somebody and speak to somebody because, you know, we never wanted to get to that point. Even a situation like I'm I'm pretty sure Henry Ruggs didn't just get drunk and just drive and hit those people. No. 
I'm pretty sure he was going that He's fast. Dealing with some stuff. He was going that fast for a reason. But for the rest of his life, uh, Joe Staley and Henry Ruggs, that's what they're going to be considered as. Because in that situation, they were hurt. But So, so let me ask you a question. Because you've been pretty open tonight, and this is a great conversation. Yeah. You've identified some problems about yourself. 100%. So what are you going to do moving forward to work on that? Because there's a lot of options. Yeah, for but, sure. But what's in your mind? What's in my mind is honestly just – speaking out and talking more because in situations like this, like when I'm hurt or I'm upset, I just shut down. You can ask my wife. It's the biggest pet peeve of hers. <laughs> like, yeah, she knows she did something to upset me and she knows that once I'm upset, that's it. Lance is cut off. Smiling's gone. Everything's done. I don't want to go nowhere. And there's no conversation. No conversation. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to speak about it. I have to learn to speak about it and talk about it. And that's, those are my next steps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, talking to Taylor, like, he don't realize it. This was my damn counseling session. Here we man. go. Like 100%. And yeah. it was crazy. I really needed this. Um, glad I got to do this. Uh, make sure, um, if you're listening, um, November is the month of for mental health men. Make sure you reach out and talk to people, man, because, you never know. A simple conversation between three people can change and shape someone's life. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to bring this segment. I appreciate Taylor for coming on, man. Yeah, of course. Really needed that. Producer Jake spending time to do it. And then, of course, always love Jake. <laughs> and then hopefully we can get this man Taylor in <laughs> on a fantasy football show. <laughs> wow. That refreshed, that refreshed my heart. <laughs> <laughs> but until next time guys peace